Are those corduroy? <laughs> I've been wanting to ask that this entire time. <laughs> no, they're not. Are they hemp? Burlap? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've been admiring your <laughs> pants. Welcome to Unimed's Innovation Overground, where we dig into some of those amazing academic discoveries and innovations that we often hear about, but for whatever reason, never seem to actually touch our lives. And we want to dig into that and figure out what it takes to take those innovation discoveries and make them into actual things. Uh, thank you for joining us. We are sponsored by Unimed, the Technology Transfer and Commercialization Office for the University of Nebraska Medical Center and the University of Nebraska at Omaha. I am Charlie Litton, and I am joined by Tyler Scher. Say hi, Tyler. Hi, Charlie. And Joe Rungi, say hi, Joe. Hi, Charlie. Tyler and Joe both work at Unimed. They're, they work in the licensing department. Joe's an intellectual property lawyer. Um, Joe, wait, Joe, you have a thing to... Yes, please make sure to leave a review if you like us. Please make sure to rate us. And also, please make sure to subscribe. We want as many people as possible to hear what we're saying. Yes, we want to tell untold stories of academic innovation, not just in Nebraska, but you know nationwide. And so the more people that uh, hear that, the, the more people we can get those messages out to. Um, so, okay, all that said, I think it's about time we went over something I want to talk about last time. But, um, well, anyway, I, I want to talk about this idea that that we can pick winners and losers and, and you know, what's involved in that because Charlie, I think that's a, a tough, on, tough. Man. What's no. What? no, that's an important subject. No, we, yeah. no. it is. No. Okay. No. Well, I guess Joe's, well, all right. We're, you know, he's one third of the show and uh, Joe's uncomfortable with the topic. So sorry people. Um, but it is kind of a nicky subject, so we can move on. Um, there's something else I've been thinking about, and that's, you know, we are, I should say, you know, a shout-out to KVNO. Um, we're in the studios here at the uh, University of Nebraska at Omaha, their, their radio uh, facility, and they let us uh, graciously use their their equipment here. And um, and as long as we're here, we can talk about biomechanics. They have a yeah. world-class biomechanics department, right? Now, Tyler, you, that's something you've been working on. I, I've... I, I think a lot of the technologies that you're licensing come out of the out of that department. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, UNO Biomechanics um, has really been highly productive in the last year. So, um, it, you know, for as long as they've been around, but I, I've been at I've been working with them for only about the last year. Uh, they have. Well, I think it's, one it's, of the... it's basically like a Willy Wonka's workshop for medical devices for they have oompa loompas <laughs> they don't have the oompa loompas uh, <laughs> a river of chocolate a they, river of innovation don't toy with my emotions <laughs> they, they have they, they have a travis who, who, can tra- ma- who can make basically anything that any of our clinicians want made a travis but they also have a jorge too and he does some really cool stuff with prosthetics yeah yeah okay love jorge yeah so he was um, he was one of the original co-founders of the Enable movement. This is an international movement that um, was founded around the mission of 3D printing and making freely available upper limb or hand prosthetics for children um, around the world. So that was he was initially involved in that uh, nonprofit, and since then he's really gotten into um, asking these uh, some real hard science questions about. 
um, how these prosthetics are being used, the best ways to design prosthetics for, for very specific um, amputation, for very specific patient populations. Um, One of the things he did, though, was he, he, I don't know if he was the first, but he certainly figured out a, a really good way to, um, to, to help. I mean, the, I think the hard part for children is, is understanding how they grow, right? And then the, the use then of, an, you know, prosthetic. I mean, anybody who's got kids knows that you're buying like four pairs of shoes a year. And I can't imagine what it's like with a prosthetic. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. So with in adult populations, uh, traditionally prosthetics can be very expensive. Uh, but at least when you're, when you're fitting an adult with a prosthetic, they're not growing anymore. So you know that that prosthetic, unless it gets broken from use right. or an accident, it'll, you it'll last. One, you're, you're good. You're probably years and years before you need another one. But with a kid... Kids constantly growing. Yeah. yeah. So this is where this is where 3D printing has been revolutionary. Um, it, so it's been it's you're able to produce at a fraction of the cost. So for for dollars, um, a prosthetic device that can really transform a kid's right. this, this daily activity. And they're uh, rough and then, on them too, anyway. So even sure. if they weren't growing, they're going to break them because they're probably climbing a tree or something. Yeah. But I mean, but how does biomechanics then fit fit into that part of the puzzle? Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, so so for, for, with all aspects of it. So even in in just the the initial uh, screen with the patient with the child, they'll do a three D scan of the of the unaffected limb. Uh, so in this case, oh, the limb that's whole. Yeah. So in this case, we're mostly okay. talking about arms still, um, upper limbs. Um, so they'll do a 3D scan of the the whole arm, uh, the unaffected arm, and then they can use that to help design a perfectly fitted prosthetic arm and even match uh, weight of that unaffected arm. This is very important for, as they've shown in their research, for 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 so having symmetry is really important for balance yeah. and for just okay. normal activity and movement. Well, that's just walking around. It's good to have yeah, a you prosthetic that weighs the same as your yeah, left arm. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it uh, mimics natural, okay. the, 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 the lost limb as much as possible. Okay. So is there like some sort of, I thought there was something about like an algorithm that helps predict or match uh, the growth rate so that you could then... So yeah, so that they can actually do this remotely now. So they so he's developed through his collaborations with local prosthetists um, and with with other clinicians. Uh, so he's developed uh, an algorithm where where they can just receive a picture or a few pictures from different angles of a child's unaffected limb and affected limb, and then actually three uh, D print uh, essentially a perfectly fitted prosthetic and mail it mail it to him. So he's done this in Nebraska to rural settings. Um, he's also done this um, internationally as well. Okay. And, and around the U.S. and internationally. So that's all pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So how long, I mean, is you, it's, it's happening now, right? It's yeah. out there. Yeah, you know, it is happening doing... now. And all of this, uh, for the most part, this has been, he's doing this kind of on the side, just philanthropically on the side of his main gig, which is a researcher. Uh, but there's been some talk about, you know, trying to, he, he continues to get inundated with requests. So there's been some talk about having um, maybe a startup, maybe a nonprofit that could, that could kind of help take over a lot of this and continue to really um, kind of help people because he gets a lot of requests. Okay. Um, so what else is going on biomechanics that's... So um, I've had the privilege to work with biomechanics for a long time. Yeah. and. One of the things that's really interesting about the way UNO research has applied biomechanics is they analyze variability in movement 
to determine how um, that variability relates to disease progression. And there's a lot of really great collaborations between UNO and UNMC. And uh, Dr. Stergio, the head of the laboratory over there, along with one of his other scientists, Dr. Yentes, worked with uh, Dr. Stephen Renard, who is a world expert pulmonologist at UNMC. And really one of the things they wanted to address was how, how could they better manage the progression of COPD. COPD is a, a horrible disease. COPD stands for? Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disorder. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, so that's just some, and people don't really know what it is, really, right? Do it's, they know what starts it, what stops it? I think what, the better way to think is there's a lot of ways to start it and stop it. COPD can be the result of smoking or smoke inhalation or inflammatory disease. It's just describing the the phenomenon. You don't right? need to be a smoker to get it, though, do you? Right. It could be an inflammatory response in your lungs, and it's progressive. And the thing that's really scary about COPD and really expensive is that uh, people who suffer from the disease, they have these sort of acute exacerbations of the disease, and they're really horrible. And exacerbations like like an attack. It's almost like an asthma attack. Like an asthma attack, attack. okay. Yeah, and, and oftentimes they end up in the ICU. So we're talking about not being able to breathe. Yes, and treating them is really— That can't be fun at all. And they are very sudden. There is very little warning, and they're very difficult to treat. They, they go to the ICU. They're on a lot of uh, steroids, sometimes antibiotics. They often— kind of tied to cold and flu season. And so the goal that Dr. Renard had is how can we use biomechanics to assess the progression of the disease and maybe even be able to assess. That's a really interesting question. How do you, how do you ask that? I mean, so one of the, like there are kind of stories that are interesting. So when I was doing the prior art research for the invention they discovered, I came across this paper from 1980, which tried to look at how horses run and how horses breathe and how it's related. What was that research for? Uh, it was a biomechanics paper, actually, looking at uh, the movement in animals. And okay. it was a, kind of a negative result. They, they published a paper saying, yeah, we can't really figure out how to correlate running and breathing. And if you think about it physiologically, and this is what's really interesting about biomechanics, the, the process by which you know your body starts breathing faster in response to exertion is really, really complicated, right? There's all these signals huh. of lower oxygen and muscle stress and just the, the fact that your body can sort of maintain your oxygen level during exercise is actually really impressive. And it's, you know, this complex evolutionary result of, of something common between horses and people. And what the inventive team here did is they found a way to remotely monitor how synchronized your breathing and your walking is. And that is something that people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder do less well than regular people. And so they were able to observe this in the laboratory using their really sophisticated motion capture equipment, kind of tied to breathing as well. And with the work of some commercial partners, we've been able to, they've been able to uh, reduce that down to something that people can wear. So it's a wearable device that looks at your synchronization between breathing and walking and is able to sort of peg that to COPD. But what does it peg? I mean, what does it tell you? Congratulations, you have COPD? No. It, it's a diagnostic? What it's able to tell you is too, it's, a, it's called a prognostic, so it's able to determine if your disease is getting worse. But, and what they're really hopeful it is, is if it can tell if your disease is getting worse, it can tell if it suddenly gets worse. So before you stop being able to breathe, it can determine that, hey, you're about to have an exacerbation, well, get to the hospital that, now. Well, I mean, that sounds really cool, but I mean... So how so you go to the doctor's office and you get on the treadmill and you wear this thing and it says it's getting worse or it's about to get no, suddenly can, worse. It doesn't a, make sense. It's an expensive device. That, you wear it at home. How do you wear it at home? What? It, yeah. What do you mean? Just walking around the house? You got this thing? What is it like a hat? 
No, it's a, it's a little band you tie around your chest. Oh, okay. And that makes more sense. Yeah, that's connected to the internet. It's a little wearable, right? And, okay. and I think this is like why biomechanics is the next big thing, right? Because well, that's wait a second. So you can be just be walking around the house, you know, making eggs, and right. then uh, I don't know, a beep, it starts beeping or something, and then how close are you to having a, an exacerbation, as you called it, or an attack? Um, it's able to basically look if your synchronization is getting worse. So think of it more like. If your synchronization is getting worse and worse very, very quickly, then it can send a signal to your doctor. Your doctor can give you a call and say, come on in. We're going to treat you right now so you don't end up in the ICU. Well, that sounds very cool. Wow. How close are we to on that one? Um, so there is, uh, we're, we're working with uh, a couple of companies now to try to get a uh, prototype uh, outside of a laboratory testing into clinical testing. We've done some clinical testing. The results have been encouraging, but um, still working on it. The inventors have come up with some new designs that are going to be a lot more feasible. It's been a really great collaboration between a, a great biomechanics group and a, a great doctor. That is very cool. I know I know some of the other things they're doing with uh, biomechanics. You're there, like, they're able to detect concussions, which is, it's, and it's just measuring your, just your basic biorhythms i guess right it's observing you move in, in a very uh very fine way though mm -hmm. right um i know that and, and a part of the thing that they're trying to do now too is they've um they've invented a couple things that i know about the like the exploding shoe is what i like to call it um <laughs> and they've also invented a new phrase for slipping um one of the one of the favorite phrases i've ever read in my life was rapid loss of foot to floor friction it's a beauty. That is an that amazing is way to yeah. describe slipping. It has alliteration. It's I really, describing really slipping. Like that <laughs> it's yeah, a right? great. Well, yeah. tell, all right, I've been I'm teasing it, but it actually is a very cool thing with really good uses. Yeah, this is from Dr. Hunt's lab over at UNO Biomechanics again. Yeah. Um, and it's not. He doesn't call it the exploding shoe. I know you love to call it the exploding <laughs> shoe. He calls it the wearable apparatus for slip perturbations. Perturbations. Yeah. So this. What, this, what does perturbations mean? Uh, so. A, as a, fun as it is to say. <laughs> yeah, so a perturbation is just... Uh, is that a poking? Yeah, sort of. It's a poking or a prodding or an, an, an inducing a reaction, I okay, guess. got it. So in this case, you're inducing slip. Um, and uh, so so his lab actually, he has the patients banana peel being The yes. banana peel already being patented. <laughs> yes. He, he decided. <laughs> yeah. So he, Seriously, yeah. what is the use of, of, of creating a shoe that makes people slip? Yeah, so there What's are the actual there is actual value to this. So there is a lot. There's a growing body of research that indicates that, in order to help train people to uh, to have the fine motor skills, the coordination to avoid slipping. So these would be your elderly populations, oh, okay. people with with traumatic okay. brain injury, sure, as well, um, so which could be which could be vets. So in order to help uh, train them and give them that sort of uh, that that skill set um, via muscle memory, you have to actually induce slipping, and it's better to induce it in a in an, a safe environment, right? So we're talking about inducing slipping in these particular people, or yeah, in like no. a different population, just to understand how slipping happens or what happens well, in a muscular. Both. So initially, yeah. So so the the first step, and this research is still ongoing, would be using this device and. and in research labs um, initially in order to better understand slipping and to better characterize all the aspects of slipping. But a, a, a second application, and the, the ultimate hope would be to be able to use this uh, actually clinically in order to help train populations to reduce slipping and falling. Well, that sounds, 
I mean, it doesn't sound like it's not a big, you know, giant thing that you put on a marquee, but it sounds like really important research anyway. I oh, mean, there's very a important. huge population of people that that, that could help. But yeah. We can't get into that anymore. I think it's time to come to ground on this one. Uh, thank you for joining us. For uh, Tyler Scher and Joe Runke, I'm Charlie Litton. Be sure to check our program notes. We'll uh, link to a lot of the amazing things that uh, UNO's uh, biomechanics, and we should probably say world-class biomechanics department is up to. Um, so with that said, uh, please rate and, and uh, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll uh, see you next time on Innovation Overground.